0: this thing on are we live we never know it's always a bit of guesswork <laughs> so either we start early and then you all join us mid-conversation or we're sitting here looking goofy with you sitting here looking at us uh good evening happy tuesday welcome to dispatch live um, i'm joined tonight by the dispatch politics team we had our our big lunch Yesterday, they've been hard at work to put together a newsletter for everybody. Tomorrow, we have with us Andrew Egger, Audrey Fahlberg, and David M. Drucker. Not just David Drucker, David M. Drucker. That's a good place to start. David, what do you have in your glass tonight?
1: I've got a a brandy. It's It's a French cognac, to be precise. It's fancy. I, is, I picked it up fancy. when I was writing my book because I, I decided if I was gonna get up at 4 a.m. every morning and write a book before I went to work, then I was gonna act like a pretentious author. So I mean, I'm not good. allowed to smoke in the house, but I can drink.
0: So what's what what is this French brandy?
1: Uh Pilonde. So fancy. for the uninitiated, there is a great wine and, and liquor store on Capitol Hill called Schneider's. And I, I live on the Hill. And so once every couple of months, I walk in there and, and I ask him by way of brandy, what do you have? Because there's a lot that I know a lot about, but I'm not a brandy expert, but I found that I really enjoy the stuff. So I keep refilling. This And, they, is what and they've given you stuff. good advice.
2: Good. Yeah. Last year, last year I was uh reporting a story uh, for us on, the, the very, very large uh, homeless encampments that had sprung up uh, all up and down, um, I guess Massachusetts right there in front of Union Station and things in front of the Heritage Foundation. And I was right down there and that's right where Schneider's happens to be, um, like right by the Heritage Foundation there. And when I was done with my reporting, I kind of wandered in there uh, and I it, I, 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 w- I was stunned. I was taken aback. I'm so used to the, the state run ABC liquor stores in Virginia um totally joyless, joyless place to buy anything. Um this and is why I'm, you don't move across the river. It is the one perhaps the one thing that I cannot even begin to deny that uh that DC people have up on up on Virginia is is that well Audrey this
0: story? went sideways really fast didn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's what I get for it's what I get for 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 asking. So Drucker, I David, we're thrilled to have you. We've already praised you a lot. So we're we're done with that part of your time with us. Now comes the hazing. I will Enough tell that people way. that when um when we were talking about tonight David just reconfirmed that this is a casual affair and didn't need to dress up when I had David in um uh, maybe a year and a half ago we do reporters lunches every they're supposed to be every couple of weeks they're mm-hmm. a little bit hit or miss largely because of my schedule but the idea is to gather the reporters the editorial team and we go get lunch somewhere sit around and talk about the craft, talk about reporting uh, questions of any kind about sourcing. You know, how do I talk to somebody? How do I develop sources to to the big picture questions and things that we um, are covering sort of week in and week out. And then if there's not a lot of that, we just have lunch and and get together. But occasionally, we bring in guests. And I brought David in as a guest. What was this about a year and a half ago, I think, and uh, And I said, listen, this is a decidedly casual affair. I will be in jeans and probably a hoodie or, you know, some kind of which you (laughs) were, which I was probably. And uh, and I said, so feel free to come casual. And David responded by saying, I think you said I, I have to wear a suit because I always wear a suit. But I might go without the pocket square. And that was your idea of, of going casual. I may have,
1: I may have the details of that story wrong, but it's it's generally um, correct. It, that, that your recollection of the conversation is generally correct.
0: Okay, good. We are uh, we're happy to have you. happy to have you casual. Um, Andrew Audrey, uh, welcome back. This is um this is fun. Let me start with a question that we've gotten from a number of members. Well, let me start before I ask the question. To remind you to to jump in with questions. If you have questions, um, please start sending them our way. Uh, We want to take a lot of member questions. We try to take a lot of member questions every Tuesday. Uh, We particularly want to do that tonight with this new group and this new newsletter and and the new uh, uh, focused coverage area for ourselves. Um, But let me start with a question that I've gotten from a number of our members over the past few days after we announced the establishment of this Dispatch Politics Newsletter, something we've been excited. We've been talking about it, planning for this, excited about it for months and months, probably had it as an idea for more than a year even. Um, But the question I've gotten from a number of people is, why are you jumping into politics like this now? We just survived the 2022 midterms. Do we really have to jump in to politics right now? um andrew i'll go to you first on that why are we doing this now
2: well uh you know we hate to be the ones to have to 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 mention it but uh especially with these presidential cycles it starts up real fast like it's it's you wouldn't believe like like the second um you know you have your midterms and then there's a couple weeks of analysis and everybody uh kind of like processes it emotionally, who was working on the campaigns and stuff. And then they all go out and get their next job and start start doing it all over again. And the consultants start going around and and figuring out who the candidates are going to be. And the parties start laying the groundwork logistically for the things. Uh last week uh I was out in in uh, Dana Point, California for the Republican National Committee's winter meeting, um, where they uh Dealt with a bunch of the logistical stuff they re- re-elected the chair, Rhonda McDaniel, um, who's going to be the chair up through the up through the 2024 election. Uh, they set uh, a lot of the kind of procedural groundwork for the uh, primary debates that they're, they're going to be coming up in just a matter of months here, starting this summer, uh, a year out from the from the Republican convention in, in Milwaukee next year. Um, and then this upcoming weekend, we have the the Democratic uh, uh, Winter Meeting, Democratic National National Committee Winter Meeting, uh, where one of the things that they are going to talk about that's going to be very important is the order of the presidential uh, primaries for on the Democratic side, which is already turning into a huge kind of boondoggle. There's a lot of a lot of like real sparks and fire flying with. Uh, Conflict between the states that go first now, particularly Iowa and New Hampshire and the the states, the Democrats want to, to go first for them, uh, particularly South, South Carolina. So it's, it's already happening, you know, uh, three, four days from now, it'll be one, one year to the first uh, primary in South Carolina, at least according to the Democratic schedule. Uh, maybe New New Hampshire will actually will buck buck the party and go even earlier than that. So maybe we're already inside of a year, a year away from the first uh, primary. So sorry to sorry to tell you, but it's all it all it's the perpetual motion machine of American politics, right? Here we are. Here we all
0: are. And we know these debates. I mean, we're looking at potential Republican debates in July or august of of the summer. um so that that's coming up on this quickly too Audrey, do you have anything to add? I'm going to circle back to a couple of things that you mentioned, Andrew, and ask you and more detail and ask some more detailed questions to to both Audrey and David. But Audrey, do you have anything to add on 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 why now?
3: Sure. I mean, uh, just kind of going off of what Andrew said, I mean, campaign season never stops, which is fun for us, but, you know, maybe agonizing for the rest of the country. Um, one race in particular where I think that this is really clear, um, and I'm sure we'll go into much more detail throughout later in this conversation, but the Indiana Senate race, for example. Mitch Daniels uh, just says this week that he's not running. Um, you know, part of that is probably because, we can get into all the reasons why, but, you know, the Club for Growth um, already backs Jim Banks, right? It's incredibly early, but they applied to spend millions against Mitch Daniels should he decide to run. Um, so when one big spender jumps into the race on a candidate's behalf, that's when the dominoes start falling and you know Senate GOP leaders have to um, pick who they're going to endorse. If they are going to endorse, um, things heat up really quickly. Um, so never really stops.
0: Yep. David, do you? He looks like he's well, in you know, pain. I
1: think when it was slow down a little bit, because you had time to plot. And also, you know, you could mail in for a couple of months, your boss wouldn't wouldn't know what the heck you were doing wouldn't really care. And when we're inside of January of the off year, which is the year before the election, we're just weeks removed, about eight weeks or so maybe a little less from the last election. And we already have a potential candidate declaring he won't run, after spending 10 days considering it, to Audrey's point about Indiana, it just shows you how fast everything gets going. And one of the reasons everything gets going, they need to raise money, they need to raise their name ID, and nobody is content to wait anymore the way they used to. Because number one, people are ambitious. And number two, out there can't believe that this stuff never ends and it's annoying to them. And so they there's enough of, a of people out there that are interested that the incentive structure is that things do get started earlier because there is a response from voters who are yeah. interested in the next election, who start donating, who start showing up to these events. So really, I blame you people. <laughs> well, it's particularly true of the
0: Activists, Right. I mean, if you're going to be a successful candidate, I mean, I'm I'm glad you brought up Indiana because we've seen this flurry of public activity, public back and forth, sort of lots of positioning. You had the Club for Growth, as you mentioned, this big outside um, Republican adjacent group used to be a pretty strong free market group, now much more aligned. They're, They're actually fighting pretty intensely with Donald Trump himself. At the moment, but they're very aligned with this sort of Donald Trump MAGA movement, you might even call them MAGA Plus. It's been quite, a, uh, I would say, a journey for um, for the Club for Growth, but they're out there making, endorsing candidates, making these promises of financial backing. You had Marco Rubio jump in and endorse Jim Banks sort of preemptively. You had Tom Cotton jump in, endorse Jim Banks preemptively. You'd have others. You had J.D. Vance. Uh, Senator J.D. Vance from Ohio do that today. You're seeing all of this sort of above the water activity in Indiana. But just because we're not seeing it as intensely elsewhere doesn't mean it's not happening elsewhere. All of the same kinds of things, the same kinds of jockeying, the same kinds of lining up funding, aligning with outside groups. That's all happening. We're just not seeing it. And part of what we want to do is is find it and you know cast a light on it and, and tell people what's happening so that you have a better understanding when when we do see things above the surface of exactly what's going on and why why these things are happening um andrew let me jump to you um pause for a moment on the on the rnc winter meetings republican national committee has these winter meetings they reelected elected ronna romney mcdaniel um, at the meetings, about a two to one margin. I think that was pretty well expected. Um, but I, I'd i like to ask you, one, what you think of that result and the fact that Republicans, despite having, I would say, struggled electorally across the country for the past three cycles, um, chose the person to lead them again who had led them before. And then second, what did you do all day? What were your days like? I mean, you're just running around with all these super Republicans. Were they dressed like Republicans dress at the Republican convention in sort of Uncle Sam outfits? And was it that kind of festive atmosphere or was it more businesslike?
2: No, very, very business forward. I did not. I, I didn't even see any of the kind of uh, strange. I saw no I saw no Uncle Sam hats. I'll say that. Um, no, it was at a, an unbelievably fancy uh, Waldorf Astoria hotel in in uh, like I said, Orange County, Dana Point. Um There was a, uh and you did R&D. not stay at the unbelievable fancy. I did not even fancy. ask you whether thank I could you. To stay thank you. We appreciate the, uh, no, no, no. that. It was a much, a much, a be, still very dispatch pleasant, members. Uh, your your funds. You're are a better being man than I am. Well, exactly. exactly. Used well. Um, no, no, no. Right, right, right. No, it would have been like $900 a night. It would have been a little, it would have been a lot. Um, uh, there was even a story in the daily mail kind of dinging the RNC for putting it there, you know, kind of the, the one percenter party or whatever sort of thing. Um, they all got a group rate, so it wasn't, it wasn't that bad for them, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, logistically it was very boring, um, in, in the sense of not being a lot to talk about. I just hung out in the lobby of the Waldorf Astoria for several days and, uh, scanned faces. They have a list of of everybody at the rnc there's a three-person delegation from each state and territory who's a voting member there uh found people i need wanted to talk to for this story and for future stories um, found people who david had uh suggested i pull on their cuff because they were talkative and friendly with press um and yeah just uh just kind of was a fly on the wall there was only one open uh, open press session uh the entire week which was the one at the end where they actually voted on everything. Um, and uh, and that was, yes, when uh, when uh, when they resoundingly reelected Ronna McDaniel over her uh, sort of grassrootsy challenger, Harmeet Dillon, who's an attorney uh, and a California member of the RNC. Um, so she's it's 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 not like it wasn't exactly like an establishment versus grassroots thing because Harmeet is has been a part of party infrastructure for a long time. Um, but she did have a lot of grassroots support. She she kind of channeled um, sort of the the. The Tucker Carlson sort of energy. She did a lot of appearances on, on shows like his, on, on uh, Steve Bannon's podcast, War Room podcast, um, basically just saying, yeah, the RNC has gotten kind of ossified. They, they, There's too much self-dealing, too much money leaking out to various consultants rather than going to win elections. Um, and there was a lot of, I mean, they, they, insofar as people cared about the election outside the RNC, which is unusual, people don't usually pay attention to these sorts of internal machinations. Uh, there was a, a, a good amount of kind of outside uh, uh, belligerence in favor of Harmeet, but uh, it's not a popular vote. And uh, McDaniel had done a really good job locking up uh, the members. Even before Harmeet got into the race, there were a 100-some uh, uh, voting members who signed a letter saying they would support her. Um, only 168 member body. So that's more than enough to win. Uh, And Harmeet uh, managed to peel off. I forget the exact number right now, 50 some. It was about uh, 111 to 51, I think 51. Sure. Uh, Something. Yeah. Something right along there. And what was interesting is that uh, um, a lot of the people that I talked to basically agreed with the assessment that I think a lot of us had coming out of the midterms, which was, well, it's clear what happened in the midterms. It was a candidate quality issue, first and foremost uh that's why we didn't take back the senate we being republicans the people I was talking to um and uh and and you know maybe there are some fair critiques that harmiet dillon is bringing forward but it's hard to imagine that some that that you could really trace a straight line between uh, underwhelming in this past election and Ronna McDaniel. Um, and then basically there were other little reasons like, uh, we're like, we've been talking about, we're already kind of into the presidential cycle. So it'd be a little bit of a kind of changing horses in midstream sort of effect to go with a brand new chair. You'd have to learn the ropes, like as, as the train was already barreling down the track to mix like a horrible metaphor. Um, so that's, that, that was the primary thing. And I, and, and, and then, um, Another angle that we talked about and then we wrote about in the in the newsletter is a lot of times we've we've seen these fights, um, really any kind of internal fight about power at the uh, in Republican politics as being between some kind of old establishment wing and sort of a MAGA Trumpified wing. And there definitely was that kind of like establishment versus um, sort of guerrilla fighters feel to this whole thing. Um, but it we've definitely moved into a new act in that story because the establishment of Ronna McDaniel is already a Trumpified Republican party. More than half of the members of the RNC were first elected during the Trump years. And Ronna McDaniel herself was was Trump's handpicked RNC chair when Reince Priebus stepped down uh, uh, from from that job to, to become chief of staff. So uh, so it's this weird situation where even though Trump is still kind of coded as outsidery and grassroots uh, to in a lot of people's minds and certainly channels a lot of that energy, it's kind of his Republican establishment that we're that we're talking about when we talk about the RNC these days.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, that that there is a new establishment. Um, the I can't remember if it was in in your item or maybe it was a New York Times piece uh, talked about the number of um rnc men and women who had been elected their positions chosen for their positions after trump won um in 2016.
2: 99 um, yeah it was in yeah. My item, but i got it from the times so
0: which is pretty 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 striking uh we have a, a number of questions about the newsletter itself and about how we're going to go about doing this so i'm gonna mostly just get out of the way and and read the questions please keep them coming um Question at the top um, from, I think it's Leah Miller. Do you get invites to these gatherings or do you ask to be included? How does that work?
2: For stuff like the, the winter meeting? Yep. They, they, they tend to be open press. I mean, it's, it's you have to know who to email or what, you, hopefully you're already on the press list for the organization or whatever, but they'll send out a sign up uh, in advance and say, hey, get in touch with us and such a person to get your credential. And then and then that's what you do. Um, but the like institution
0: said, doesn't issue you an invitation, right? I mean, if you've been covering these for a while, maybe David, uh, who's probably done a bunch of them, you might get a, a tip from somebody who you've known at the RNC for years. Hey, these are the dates you might want to sort of set aside the the dates and
1: and the, the travel time so it works it's a little bit of both. Um, when you've got sources inside institutions they'll tip you off in a, well in advance so you can plan but in general they will eventually send out um, a press release telling you that you can request credentials to be admitted to cover a gathering now when they hold a gathering, um, at a hotel or at a convention center, um, except in very rare instances, they cannot prevent you from being on premises. They could, if they choose, refuse to credential you to get into the convention hall or into the ballroom where, or into any press conferences that are open, quote unquote, open press. And so it just sort of depends on, um, whether, you can get tipped off because you know people or even if you don't once you request credentials whether they will give them to you and we've seen in the past i don't know half dozen years or so that uh, there are politicians and campaigns in both parties that will not credential people they don't like won't let in people they don't like this happened on pennsylvania in 2022 the mastriano campaign for governor Uh, he wouldn't credential almost anybody Uh, we've seen the trump campaign at various times refuse to credential people. Um, and we've seen it uh, from 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 Democrats here and there. Uh, it's still pretty rare, but it does happen.
2: One of our yeah, reporters I mean, it's, it's, Price, Price St. Clair was supposed to go to Trump's uh, South Carolina event this past weekend, and his credential was denied, allegedly for lack of space at the event. Yeah, by the way, somebody tweeted
1: say. a picture of the room inside. It was inside. They, they could have fit price. He's really skinny. Yeah. Yeah, They had room for price. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, let me, let me keep moving through these. Cause they're good. They're real good questions. Um, Alvin uh, Schmucker writes, I'm confused. The dispatch wasn't covering politics until now. Is this doubling <laughs> down like going from a cheeseburger to a double cheeseburger? Um, Audrey, do you want to take the first shot at that and we can we can expand on a lengthy
2: question <laughs> <What laughs> to you steve Steve, you're the one with all the thoughts <laughs> i mean,
0: i don't know that they're thoughts so we'll we'll we will uh let you behind the curtain a little bit so we didn't know what to call this this was a big big sort of institution-wide discussion at the dispatch what's the right name for dispatch politics and um We had a couple of people on staff, particularly on the business side, who said exactly what Alvin just said, like, wait a second, why are you just now announcing a newsletter about dispatch politics? Doesn't the dispatch cover politics broadly? And that is very true. I mean, we say that our our coverage area broadly understood sort of since launch has been politics, policy and culture. And I would argue that we've been heavier on policy probably than on raw electoral politics um, for the first few years. But we didn't know what to to call it, in part because I think a lot of people think of politics as sort of whatever happens in Washington um, or whatever happens in Washington and what people do on the way to get to Washington. So we went round and round about it. We talked about a number of different um, names, but the the narrower we got, the the less we thought it was um, likely to be accurate in terms of what this newsletter will cover. And we we favor when we are coming up with newsletter names for our subject area newsletters, we favor being very straightforward rather than trying to be super cute just so you know what you're getting um so we landed on dispatch politics justin fritz our coo put a the oxford english dictionary uh definition of politics in one of our slack channels and we went round and round about it and i thought it actually described pretty well what we are going to do which is the coverage of governance and the things that happen with power with a particular emphasis on how people seek to obtain that power campaigns and elections and that's a pretty succinct um definition and and we're you know we'll approach it in a very dispatchian way we it it, we are not aiming to to produce yet another super insidery Washington you know political tip sheet with all the jargon and the acronyms that most normal people don't understand We would like this to be kind of an inside-out newsletter where we are are living inside. We're talking to all the people who are insiders. We're getting a lot of our information from people who are insiders. We know that the insiders are reading us very, very carefully, uh, judging from some of the responses we get to the, the stuff we publish. But this is meant to be consumable for normal people, people who are busy and have jobs and families and things that keep them from being the junkies that most of us are. Um, so that's what we're doing, but I do like the idea of like going from a cheeseburger to a a double cheeseburger. I think you probably wrote that just special for me, didn't you? Um, another question, I'd say related question, uh, Andrew, what will distinguish the new political newsletter from TMD uphill, the sweep, Chris and Nick's work from Jay
2: Eric? Okay. Uh, wow. Okay. Okay how do I, how do we distinguish it from every other, every other product we have? So the, distinguishing it from the sweep will probably become a lot more evident going forward because before this existed, Audrey and I wrote for the sweep a lot and it will, we wrote the kind of stuff that will be going more in this thing. Um, but it uh, the sweep and also Chris's thing to, to a uh, uh, styroaltisms, I should say uh, are, are, are going to be both primarily, you know, their, their analysis um, from their own experiences at, at the jobs they've had. They don't tend to, uh, uh you know they 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 like where they're at we we uh we we like staying in hotels that are probably you know uh uh you know e- e- eating 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 meals out and about on the campaign trail that are probably better than what we would cook ourselves at home we're young we're spry you know um we reporting reporting that's what i'm trying to get at uh the, the, this is primarily going to be a reporting focused newsletter um again like a, a lot of the stuff that that Audrey and i have been doing the the last cycle of stuff that david's been doing forever um uh, but so obviously, uh, before there was this thing, we kind of just stuck that in the sweep, uh, or on the site cause there wasn't re- uh, a really obvious home for it. Um, but that's going to be this. Now we have a home now, uh, what were the other people we were distinguishing from, from uphill, uh, to the extent we're talking, we're covering stuff on the Hill. Audrey's on the Hill a ton uh i'm trying to get on the hill more uh we're going to be up there um but it won't be the kind of like policy focused stuff to to the uh to the extent that haley uh, uh covers that and does such a good job with that um it'll be a lot more about just kind of the 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 grubbier elements you know it's it's the it's the jockeying it's the stuff that it's the stuff that matters um in a different way i i, I from from the very beginning when we started talking about this this uh this new newsletter i was kind of envisioning it as being sort of a, a less noble enterprise than than uphill <laughs> um, for that reason uh i think that kind of did, did i hit it all Steve? you as such a you, you mentioned so many people and we have so many editorial products
0: so this will be the ignoble newsletter
2: it's the it's the it's the dismal science uh it's our dismal
0: uh, no that's good that's good i think that captures it um a couple more of these questions about the newsletter and and how we do the job and then we're going to broaden it out to to big picture politics and get into the stuff a little bit. Amy Stapleton, how will the team handle travel to follow campaigns? Will the three of you be doing a lot of it or do you have minions to send?
3: I think all three of us will be doing a lot of it. We have yet to uh, divide up each and every race. I anticipate that Andrew and David will be doing more of the presidential stuff. Um, I'm, I'm going to be helping out with everything, um, but I think we're all really, really eager to travel. Um, It's going to be a big
1: country. There are a lot of races.
3: Yes.
1: (laughs) And I will say this about travel just to get this point in when you travel and talk to voters and talk to people and see candidates on the trail, even when they're rehearsed saying the same thing 50 times a day, you know exactly what's going on. You learn so much. You don't have to read a poll in Washington, which is what I do anyway when I'm here. And wonder: Is it right? Is it wrong? It, it, what about another poll? You see things happen on the ground, and you know what's you know what the th- you know what the deal is, and it answers all of your questions about how voters are feeling about their politicians, about the parties, about the country, and you don't have to. You, you're much less likely to be surprised on an election day when you've spent time out there.
0: Yeah. And I I would add to that. I mean, you you see all the stuff that happens in between. I mean, you'll be standing in the back of the room watching a candidate give a speech that in some cases, I mean, when I was doing this, when I was out on the road a lot in the 2000, 2004, 2008, 12 cycles in particular, I could stand in the back of the room and give the speeches along with the candidates because I'd been to so many of them. But then you'd be standing there with, you know, an, an advisor or two, or the person who wrote the speech. And um, you'd be listening to it and that person would say, ah, oh, he blew that line. You know, that was supposed to be the applause line. And then you think, well, why was that the applause line? What are they doing with that line in particular that makes it the applause? Who are they trying to reach? What are they trying to say? And you, 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 you accumulate, you pick up so much more of that. If you're out actually in the middle of it all. Getting a beer with a, a campaign hand, whether it's a, you know, an intern uh, who's new to politics and wide eyed and is seeing all this for the first time or a grizzled vet who's who's been doing campaigns for 40 years and can give you the full history of politics in Nevada. You just learn so much more. So I, I, I'm even going to we we are the minions. Uh, I'm going to try to get on the road um, and do some of this stuff, too. I'd like to, to contribute. To the extent that Andrew will allow me to, I'd like to to contribute occasionally here too. Um, the uh, I had one more that I was that I wanted to get to before we jump. Um, in Ed Kless, I would love for the Dispatch Politics team to profile governors as GOP governors and senators. Um, are we going to be doing this? A similar related question from Mark Homeland. When covering politics, does the dispatch try to compensate for the fact that all of you are located on the East Coast? Are you paying attention to states like Nevada and Arizona?
3: 100 percent. We've got some reporting on Senate races coming out tomorrow, including Michigan, which will have some deep, di- big, deep dive on uh, Monday. But we are very eager to cover all of them because some of the yeah. biggest battlegrounds and most important battlegrounds, both, both for the presidential and Senate, um, are out West.
1: And I, I will say, Andrew and I. Are- already got into a fist fight over who gets Arizona. So I mean just to let you know what the focus is west of the Mississippi River, we're all over it.
2: Yeah, I do I don't think anybody's gonna have to worry about not enough Arizona in particular. Arizona is going to be such junk food for us. I mean it's 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 going to be insane. I mean, it's it's easily the craziest Senate race already um, with with Kristen Sinema having recently switched her registration from Democratic to Independent and the Republican Party there. Everybody hates each other. Um, so it's really catnip for, for the kind of stuff we're going to be <laughs> covering here.
0: And it is I, sh- I should point out that while uh, the four of us are based near Washington, um, we have lots of people on staff who are not based in Washington um our two managing editors are based one is in in uh eastern Tennessee rural Tennessee uh the other is in Ohio um we have Nick is based in Texas uh Kevin was based in Texas for a while we've got people sort of spread out and um on the one hand we've been sort of fortunate that that's been the case but we look for that we have uh another staffer fact checkers in in tennessee um new writer in new york uh we've got people got people around a bit and we like we like to have those perspectives it's healthy to have people who are seeing things from outside the beltway uh to be sure um let's jump to politics a little bit here the um we've there's apparently been i'm not able to see the actual Chat as we go right now, but uh, Jonathan Chu tells me that we've uh, there's been a a lot of discussion about Indiana and about Mitch Daniels and some disappointment that we had heard earlier today about Mitch Daniels deciding against a run. Um, David, do you want to take a, a shot at why Mitch Daniels decided against a run? I mean, he put out a pretty lengthy and detailed statement. I can call it up while you're talking and give people a sense of that. Um, why, do, why do you think he didn't run?
1: Well, look, I think, I mean, I think there are probably a number of factors and, and, and I think they make some sense. You know, first of all, Mitch Daniels is 73 years old, so he would have entered the Senate had he won at age 75. If he serves one term, um, his term is over at age 81. If he serves longer, he's serving into his, ni- you know, close to his 90s. So I just think from a human perspective, I'm sure how he wanted to spend his 70s and 80s probably played into it. You know, lately he's been spending time in Florida, I believe Naples, uh, spending a lot of time down there. Who from the Midwest doesn't want to go to Florida in the winter? But this is where he is in his life after a very, and by the way, a very distinguished career, governor of Indiana veteran of the Bush administration, uh, possibly both, but definitely George W. Bush, um, years ago, ran the National Republican Senatorial Committee as an executive director uh, for a chairman, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Mis- in fact, he did for Richard Luger, former senator. And so I think when he looked at what it might have taken him to win a grueling one year plus primary, if he's going to get in now and you never know with the general election maybe he doesn't make it through the primary because the party is somewhat different than his heyday he is a fiscal hawk he is a bona fide conservative but for mitch daniels his interests even though he's always been good on the cultural issues that matter the second amendment um, abortion things like that his heart has always been in solving problems in reigning in the size of and scope of government, in dealing with debts and deficits, and building consensus to do so. And right now, the Republican Party is in a place where there are, there are many lawmakers that want to do that, but many more that don't. And you have a good segment of the Republican base, not the entire Republican base, but a good segment that wants a culture warrior. And Mitch Daniels isn't that. So could he have beaten Jim Banks, a congressman, other congressmen and women that might get into that primary. Uh, yeah, he could have. Was it a guarantee? No, it wasn't. Did he already have a big money group after him? Yes. Did he have agitators in the party after him? Yes. So I think you put all of those things together and it doesn't really look like it was something that was attractive, t- attractive to him. You know, and and I think he got to this in his statement just to grab a a paraphrase a line but he basically said i don't think i'm the guy for this job and i don't think washington's the town for me and you know one thing i will say is former governors come to washington and they just hate it they're so frustrated because especially in the senate things move slow you can't get anything done you don't have much control you have to get 60 votes for everything and they're just used to snapping their fingers and everybody scurries around doing whatever they want because governors have a lot of expansive executive power even even when they have to deal obviously with a legislature and and a bureaucracy so i I think all of that added up to mitch daniels not running i actually was not surprised he didn't run i was surprised that people surrounding him were so bullish on the idea that he would actually say yes
0: yeah I, i wasn't surprised uh with the decision either I've known, as it happens, I've known Mitch Daniels for about 25 years, I think. He was instrumental in getting me one of my first raises, um, which is not what you'd expect from Mitch Daniels since he's such a cost cutter. Uh, but I was running a program at Georgetown University called the Institute on Political Journalism, and Mitch Daniels was on my board. This was when he was head of Eli Lilly. So I followed him for a long time followed his career in the bush administration his time in office in indiana um and certainly his his time at purdue university i mean i think you know for those of you who've been been with us for a while been reading david french for a while david makes sort of a a, a consistent argument about the need for a return to competence Mitch Daniels is the return to competence. I mean, this is somebody who says he's going to do these things and then he gets them done. And it's sort of remarkable when you think about his time at Purdue. He froze uh, tuition 10 years ago when he got there, kept it frozen for 10 years. And given inflation and the cost of attending college, it's accurate to say that students who are attending Purdue University this year, are paying less for college than students who attended Purdue University 10 years ago which is given what we're seeing in higher education uh pretty remarkable but I think I think that's right I mean he's he would have it, had he run he was going to make a one term pledge he was going to be a senator for for one year um and uh I think he, you know being a junior senator for one term at the age of 75 just didn't hold that much appeal i think being 75 probably would have put him like in the middle of the senate actually I mean, I the age, he would have been the right? young, young ones yeah chuck grassley and diane feinstein an media um, an
2: instant force in the capitol hill pickleball
0: league <laughs> i mean he i i do think you know, one of the reasons I think it's regrettable that he made the decision he, he made is I think it would have been a really interesting test about sort of a more sober, um, sane, serious Republican Party next to the one that that we've seen lately. And, you know, I think Jim Banks wasn't always the Jim Banks that he is now. I mean, Jim Banks, when he first came to to Washington was much more a sort of I would describe him as a National Review Weekly Standard conservative. He, I think he, he he visited with Bill Kristol uh, pretty regularly and and uh, was friendly with with that part of the conservative movement. And has you just killed his campaign, Steve? Quickly become MAGA, you know, um, and, and is now sort of super MAGA. I mean, he he wrote this this detailed memo about why the Republican Party needs to continue to embrace Donald Trump um so I, I'm not surprised uh, I think it would have been fun to have him um but we shall we shall see maybe maybe he runs for the big office right I mean he he says Washington's not his town he didn't feel like being a legislator maybe he decides to run for president instead and he'd be younger that, than both Joe Biden and Donald Trump so by by a, a good measure um yeah Uh, I want to uh, jump to asking Audrey about what you are working on for our next newsletter. Uh, We've been kicking around a few ideas and trying to pull back a little bit and give people sort of a big picture idea of what's going on. What have you been working on? What were you working on today?
3: Sure. I think actually your um, point about how uh, Mitch Daniels versus Jim Banks would have been a great battle test for the GOP is a great point from our perspective, but not for Republican operatives and Senate. Right. Um, You know, Daniels has a lot of allies in uh, the Senate Republican conference still, um, but from their perspective, they just want to win. They want to retake the Senate. Um, you know, in, in a lot of the coffee chats off the record I've had with, um, you know, Republicans working on Senate campaigns, I asked them what race is most interesting and in recent weeks. They've actually said Indiana, which is a red leading state. Um, and but, you know, Democrats don't have a chance of retaking that state. You know, Senate Republicans are actually looking at a really promising map this cycle. Only 11 um Republican senators are up for re-election. Re- 23 Democrats are up for re-election. Um, so they have really great pickup opportunities in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Montana, um, let's see what else, Nevada, um, a number of other states. And so they're, you know, after a cycle um, dominated by negative headlines about, um, you know, Rick Scott's Rick Scott's handling of the NRSC um, fights with Mitch McConnell, super PAC, um, you know, fights over candidate quality. I think Senate Republicans are just looking to win the cycle. They have really great opportunities to win and they want to keep the attention on that rather than party infighting. And that's kind of where the headlines were were trending um, with the Indiana Senate race.
0: Well, let me let me ask you to go one level deeper on that. I mean, I think you're right. I think that's actually a pretty key insight. I, I would say um, it was certainly the case, I believe, that Mitch McConnell wanted Mitch Daniels to run uh, for for the Senate and a number of other prominent uh, Republican senators were encouraging Mitch Daniels to run and not terribly, not in a terribly subtle manner. Um, but isn't it the case that looking back at 2022, one of the real lessons is that candidate quality does matter. And I am not at all putting Jim Banks in the Blake Masters Doug Mastriano Kerry Lake categories, not nah, at all. Um, but, is, is this when you talk to these aides and these um, campaign hands and they say Republicans have a really good map, what really matters is that we win. Is there any sort of reflection on the fact that, you know, just having an R by your name might not be good enough because that's, you know, in a state like Indiana, it probably is good enough. No, but in other states, it likely won't be.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. And I think a really interesting case last cycle was Alabama, where um, Mo Brooks was endorsed by the Club for Growth. Mitch McConnell hated him. Um, Mo Brooks said, ran ads, not just this cycle, but also when he ran in 2017, um, saying that he would fire Mitch McConnell. And so McConnell spent millions of dollars in campaign ads against Mo Brooks. Right. And, you know, he Mitch McConnell's ideal candidate, Katie Britt ends up winning. But I guess, um, you know, from the Rick Scots of the world, um, their perspective is we lost the Senate in part because McConnell spent in um, Republican primaries in deep red states. That money could have gone to states like Arizona, um, Georgia, that sort of thing. Um, So I think you're absolutely right. Mitch Daniels does have allies in the Senate Republican conference still. But I think even Senate Republican leaders who are friends with him are kind of breathing a sigh of relief, you know, maybe. We can just focus on um, winning really important states this cycle, including um, some of the ones I'm most excited about are Montana, Ohio, and West Virginia, which are all states that Trump won in 2020 by really significant margins and that Republicans are excited about potentially flipping. Well, let me
0: ask a question about West Virginia, uh, since we have one here from William Miller. Will Joe Manchin be in the Senate race for 2024 with Jim Justice, the Republican governor, trying to scare him away, Justice? put out a video. I didn't actually see the video. I think it was a video today, right? Um, suggesting that he was likely to run. Does Manchin run? I have my views on this, but I'm going to wait to hear from, from you all. Does Manchin run for Senate in 2024?
3: Anyone else going to take this one?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm on the fence. I think Manchin loves being the center of attention, but he's in, I think he's in his mid seventies now. And sometimes I wonder if he wants to go out on top, having won re-election narrowly in 2018 when everybody thought that his time would finally be up. It's a presidential year. Turnout's going to be a little bit different. And if Governor Justice does run, here you have a former Democrat, now Republican, seems to check all the boxes. Manchin also in 2018 had the luxury of running against Jim Morrissey, who is the attorney general, I believe. But was really looked at as a sort of immigrant from uh, D.C. where he was a lobbyist. And I'm a big fan of lobbyists, no problem there. But I don't think West Virginians liked it all that much. And Joe Manchin, if if you've ever walked a parade with him in West Virginia, they just all call him Joe and walk up to him and shake his hand. But does he want to tempt fate? So I can't make up my mind. I think if he knew he was going to win, I think he would definitely be running. At least that's how I would look at it.
3: I will also add that Trump won West Virginia by 39 points in 2020, which is
1: significant.
2: We should we should pour one out for the poor sap the Democrats would be putting up. Who would it be? I mean, like, would would, (laughs) what who would be the person to step into the breach and be like, it's me. I'll take on Jim Justice, uh, Joe. I'll (laughs) I'll I'll pick I'll pick up or I'll I'll finish what you started. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it would not be a fun campaign to run.
0: Um, speaking of pour one out, Andrew. What were you drinking? I saw you had something in your very nice tumbler.
2: Oh well, you know, I'm uh, I'm a less discerning character than 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 David Drucker. This is just Evan Williams. Who's Evan, Evan Williams? Evan Williams
1: is good stuff. What are you talking about?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's good stuff. It's it's uh, it's the perfect, you know, uh, economist-approved sort of price flavor nexus, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Is it bourbon? Yes. And Audrey, you had a big, tall glass of something clear. I'm hoping it wasn't vodka. <laughs> it was just water.
3: Yeah, too early in the campaign cycle for me <laughs> to be drunk on, on Dispatch Live.
0: Well, I had I had planned to... I just finished Whole30 for the month of January, so I had planned to have a big glass of, of Spanish red wine tonight, but I have to go fetch some kids in a little bit, so... I will be driving instead of having a glass of wine. Um, I don't think Joe Manchin ends up running. I think he's he's very interested in, um, the, there's been talk about him, buzz about him potentially running as a third party presidential candidate. And as delusional as I think that sounds to some people, I think he's taken by the talk. I think he's interested in it, flattered by it. And um, doesn't want the the tough race that I think he could potentially have in West Virginia. Um, so I, I would expect that his time as a senator is likely nearing an end. I don't think he'll he'll run again. A um, couple more questions here um, from Cody Pogals. Will the Dispatch Politics newsletters press federal legislators on what's happening in their home states? For example, imagine asking Senator Klobuchar about the Hamline University issue the dispatches covered. That was the free speech issue in Minnesota at Hamline University. Um, I would say this is probably not that's probably probably more likely to find that in in uphill, um, which covers Capitol Hill pretty uh comprehensively, or as a, as another standalone piece. We've had some some we had a good standalone piece on. The free speech issues at Hamline University from uh, Keith Whittington, who's a professor uh, of politics at Princeton and is uh, very involved in campus academic freedom, free speech issues. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Audrey spends a, a good portion of her time up on Capitol Hill putting questions, running around the Capitol, trying to corner legislators to get them to answer her questions on Issue ABC. When you do that, uh, are you at the point now, I mean, you've been doing this for what, year and a half, a little bit more. Um, Are you at the point now where certain senators, members of Congress see you coming, know who you are, know that you're with the dispatch, uh, happy to take your questions or see you coming and scamper in the other direction because they don't want to face your tough questions?
3: sure yeah a little bit of both i mean i definitely know some members better than others um there are some other members who we cover who love being the center of attention at all times, so it's never a problem getting them on the record with anything. Um, but it's funny now that um, I'm shifting more to just campaign coverage. They hate those kinds of questions, which is so fun from my perspective. Um, you know, asking somebody if they're running for Senate is their least favorite question of all, and so they like. You could see when they're like when they when they're leaving House votes and um this happened with john james the other day he's run for senate twice before and i asked him he was running for senate and he was like uh, he eyed his comms director and he was like get me out of here um yeah but it's fun um
0: a couple more questions coming in michael McChesney. will there be any dispatch subscriber meetups in the next few months and he asks specifically will there be any in new york i think um that's a very polite way of putting me on the spot, because um, I recall, I think you've, you've called me on this before, Michael, um, saying that we would put together a dispatch member gathering in New York City before the end of 2022, and we did not do it. Um, so yeah, we're looking at uh, some some places to do. A few of those, I know Ryan Brown on our staff uh, has been in touch with some folks in Colorado who are looking to, to help us put something on. Uh, we are looking at New York City and we have some others in mind. So uh, stay tuned. We'll have news on that hopefully here in the next few weeks. Um, has Trump put together a solid campaign team or is it as disorganized as he seems to be? David, you're in touch with a lot of people in Trump world. What's your assessment of where the Trump campaign is? I mean, you hear a lot of talk about low energy Trump, right? I mean, he announced in November. We haven't seen much. Is out on the campaign trail doing some events that were closer to retail politics than he did in 2016.
1: Uh, in my yeah.
0: view, what's, what's the status of that campaign?
1: You know, ironically, he's running a much more conventional campaign so far. This time around than the previous two times he ran for president, 20 and 16. The other ironic thing is Trump actually has some very seasoned, uh, successful, smart political advisors for this campaign. One is Susie Wiles, who advises Republican candidates nationally, but is is the guru, Republican guru of Florida. Um, One of the sharpest uh, political minds in the game today. Also, Chris Lasavita, who last I checked was based in Virginia, but he might have moved to Florida like every other Republican. Um, Chris Lasavita is a he's smart. He is um, he'll take a sledgehammer to you if he thinks he needs to. Um, He is not afraid to do what it takes to get things done. And then the other name I think of is Brian Jack. He's a veteran of the Trump campaign in 20. He was advising Kevin McCarthy's political operation for a while, uh, the new speaker of the House. So Donald Trump has some really good people around him, experienced um, political strategists, none of which he had in 2016 until sort of at the end when Kellyanne Conway came in and 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 others, Bill Stepien among them. But this is a I mean, this is a a campaign that that the guts of which seem in much better shape than the face. Right. Uh, But I think one thing to understand about Donald Trump is he still retains the support of a good third of the base. I like to say of the party, the committed voters, anywhere from twenty five percent to thirty five percent, depending on the state. He is beatable because he's not the change agent, change agent he was in 2016 that made him so powerful. But that doesn't mean that he's not the front runner and isn't currently positioned to win if and until somebody runs against him and takes him out. So I think both things are true. I think what, you know, some of us like to relive the last war Well, Trump's unbeatable. There's no way you can beat him. And some of us like to keep living in fantasy land. Well, Trump's going to get indicted. Well, Trump's finally on his way out. Look at him. He He, he tripped and now he's going to fall over and I don't have to do anything. I think the way you look at Donald Trump is that he's resilient and and particularly shameless by politician standards, and he will not stop. But he can be beaten and he isn't the, um, te- at least in Republican circles, the Teflon candidate he used to be, because after 1820 and 22, uh, his record doesn't look so good anymore. And there is an interest in Republican circles, meaning voters and activists for fresh leadership and somebody who can actually serve for eight straight years. But let's see who gets into the race and let's see if they take him on.
0: When you look at this, um, Andrew, I'll go to you with this question. I mean, you think about what David said, Um, you know, certainly Donald Trump looks more beatable um, perhaps than We might have thought he was in the pre-January 6th days. Um, But I wonder if we're seeing sort of a reinvestment in Trump from the party. I mean, his numbers among Republicans have rebounded slightly in the past couple months. We talked about Jim Banks sort of muscling Mitch Daniels out of the way. Jim Banks is a very um, uh, candidate who's very strongly affiliated with Donald Trump. Has made, as I said, the argument for Trump to be at the center of the Republican Party, muscling Mitch Daniels out of the way. You have had um, J.D. Vance, um, Banks, Lindsey Graham, Eric Schmidt endorsing Trump. You have Ronald Romney McDaniel back as RNC chief. Um, You have this very interesting piece in The Atlantic today by McKay Coppins, who's a terrific journalist, does a good job covering um, a lot of different things, but the Republican Party, among them, um, basically quoting a bunch of Republicans saying, "Yeah, well, we think he might just sort of fade away," which is exactly as McKay points out what Republicans were saying in 2016 before he did not fade away. Is this are we watching sort of in real time a sort of Trump resurgence, even with all of the distractions and the the things happening outside?
2: I think you can definitely make the case that there's at least a narrative resurgent, resurgence relative to the immediate wake of the midterms where everybody was blaming him, where he was flailing, where he... His, his list of endorsements that 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 he rolled out uh, in those early weeks was unbelievably thin and and it, it did actually seem kind of plausible for for a week or so maybe even a little longer that 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 hoped for uh fade that will just kind of happen might actually happen um and I think that was probably always a mirage um but we are definitely now seeing that it, it for sure was a mirage he is he is still strong um he is still. Uh, retains big chunks not only of of the base but also of of kind of important party infrastructure that's loyal to him. Um, I, ha- I have to do one quick aside about that Atlantic uh, piece because the the most remarkable thing about it by far to me was 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 uh, the stuff McKay got into about the Republican strategists who aren't just hoping he's gonna fade away. They're just kind of actually hoping he's gonna die um the uh they he quoted a uh, uh, former uh congressman peter meyer of michigan who who talked about conversations he'd had with other republicans he said i do not endorse this this view myself but you know he's getting up there in years he he he, he might you know he's not particularly healthy lifestyle wise maybe the problem will sort of resolve itself he described it as actuarial arbitrage was the uh the phrase he used for for that line of thinking um but so, so i mean it, that really just kind of underscores the the degree of kind of passivity and 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 just com- complete sort of Pontius pilot hand washing that that a whole lot of people in the republican infrastructure uh feel toward toward the uh the phenomenon of the ongoing phenomenon of donald trump
0: To be continued, this is the kind of uh, reporting and analysis that you're likely to get if you have signed up for the Dispatch Politics Newsletter. If you haven't signed up for the Dispatch Politics Newsletter, what more can we do to encourage you to do that? Um, (laughs) Doesn't get much better than this. Um, I'm a junkie, so I love this stuff. Uh, I'm sympathetic to people who say, it's just too early for me to check in at this level yet. But I think the the schedule that we've um, chosen for this, we're going to do it uh, twice a week for the foreseeable future. And then we'll ramp up as the campaign ramps up. Um, so we think it's going to be a good place to go to cut through a lot of the BS that um, you can get elsewhere. And uh, certainly that comes from candidates on both the left and the right. So we hope you will join us, uh, Audrey. David, Andrew, thank you for joining us. Jonathan Chu, thank you for putting this all together. Um, And we will see you back here again
3: next Tuesday. Good night.